Today I had a great conversation with Chris. It's December 19th, 2013. We had a good time at Starbucks. While we're sitting there, I actually had already explained to him all the, the things I've been praying about with the kids and, you know, the last minute crunch, waiting for the Lord and just totally trusting Him regardless of the results. We were sitting at the Starbucks there and um, he takes a drink and I just happened to glance and there's these digital uh, numbers. They're not very clear numbers at all. They've been punched on there like with a dot matrix thing and they're on the bottom of the Starbucks cup and he's sitting, you know, five feet from me and he tilts back and I can see the 919. My eyes go right to it about a 16 digit number and the 919 is at the tail end and I said, Chris, you ain't going to believe this. I see a 919 on the bottom of your Starbucks cup. I lifted mine up. There was a 919 underneath of it. Come home um, within about uh, 15 minutes. Mom says, hey, listen, we were talking about it. Since you can't go get the kids, um, what would you think about us going? And can we go get them? And I said, no, Mom. I said, we can't. I said, that's that's working um, to solve the problem myself, that's me working a deliverance and, and being self-sufficient and trusting in man instead of God. And I said, nope, God's going to have to do this. I, I totally trust in God and I can't do anything to disobey. And, and she says, that's the delusional kind of thinking that I've been talking about right there. That's just, that's delusional. And I said, I'm sorry if you feel that way, but I have to walk and be obedient to the Lord. And um, so anyhow, I have continued to do so. And that the great news is is that that kind of a comment is it's not offensive to me at all anymore it's it's disappointing but god has strengthened me so much i literally am growing stronger in this war as it says in second samuel 3:1 the, the the war between the house of david and the house of saul lasted a long time and the house of david grew stronger and stronger while the house of saul grew weaker and weaker and i do feel that god is using this to strengthen me I have a peace in spite of the fact that I'm aware of what this looks like to other people, my parents, my, their friends, my friends. I'm aware of what it looks like to everybody. But I have been given this supernatural strength. God is strengthening me um, on the inside so that I can stand against it. It's really bizarre. Um, I was prompted to make this message because I looked down and saw that it was 525. I just turned around and glanced and saw the, the thing. And, and I said, Lord, I had just gone to the mailbox and to see, and there was no mail in the mailbox at all. And um, I'm still going in faith. It's like Elijah, you know, running to have his servant check and see if there's a cloud coming. And he has him go back to the mountain seven times. So faith says, go check the mailbox. And uh, I just continue to trust. But there's nothing there. We're down to the wire. It's Thursday night. If God provides a miracle in the morning, um, and look, again, the reality is God could send money on Monday or Tuesday. I could quickly get my license and go get the kids for a week. Maybe I don't have them for two weeks. But as it stands right now, I think I'm going to have to have a conversation with my kids either, I think tonight, I need to call them probably tonight and need to have this conversation with them to, to let them know that God has not chosen to deliver daddy at this time and I cannot come get you. And in spite of the fact that Grammy and Papa have offered, God has told me no. And I don't know why. But the 919 says, stay put. The 525, and seeing 919 twice and the 525 is, to me, God knows that that's what that means to me. That means stay put. Don't move off of this. Don't get ahead. And I just don't have any peace whatsoever. Like if I were to get in the car with my parents or to send them down to Florida, 
and say, sure, go ahead and go get the kids, as great of an idea as that sounds, and as much as that would bless me to be able to spend time with my kids, I would feel so sick from doing that, like absolutely no peace, like I would, it would be a really, really bad thing, like even just talking about it feels not good, because that's working a deliverance for myself, that's making my own light, I can show several scriptures where not waiting on God is a tremendous sin, it is a it is the wrong thing to do, to not wait on God and, and to trust God. So this is another thing, another message that I need to uh, record. So may the Lord deliver me. He, it's never too late, but I'm trusting Him regardless. Oh, man, it's going to be hard if I have to have this conversation with the kids tonight. Michael Commentary. Okay, let me warn you in this next clip, this is a, a crybaby clip. This is where it's just a few hours later from the first recording you heard, and now comes the moment of me actually having to crawl up on my cross. The tears and the concerns and the anxiety and the battle so far has been in the anxiety of knowing I'm going to have to crawl up on this cross if God did not deliver me. And I've gone through my Garden of Gethsemane moment. You've heard that a few recordings back. And now it's time literally to crawl up on this cross and allow the stakes to be driven in. And the reason it's so excruciatingly painful is because it involves my five innocent children. So this is that moment. This is the climax of my testing. Am I willing to obey God, not only when it hurts me, but even when it hurts five innocent, adorable children whom I love? If anyone comes after me, and does not hate mother and father, brother and sister, wife and children, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. This is a perfect illustration of what you're getting ready to hear of what it means to hate your children in obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. You're not hearing a man who literally hates his children. You're hearing a man who loves God and fears God so much that no matter what it looks like, delusional, and no matter how much pain and confusion it causes those loved ones that are involved, my allegiance and faith is 100% in God. I'm not willing to turn away from the cross. I'm going to press through this cross for the joy set before me. You'll even hear me say in this clip, I know God is going to somehow or another get me through this. See, I'm looking through the cross and looking to the joy. Now watch this. This guy is not going to have to cry along. He's going to get through this. God's going to give him the grace. It's a painful moment. And now again, thousands of spiritual children later all over the world. See, if I was not willing to give up these children like this, I have no doubt God would have never given me the thousands of spiritual children and the honor as a servant of the Lord that he's given me. This was a test, and watch. This wasn't being done for YouTube. You're only hearing about this seven years later. This wasn't being done for 90,000 subscribers. This was being done in the privacy of my own walk with God, not having any idea if anybody would ever know this, if anybody would ever hear this. The only person I'm walking before at this time in my life is my God. I don't have any cheerleaders. I don't have an audience. I don't have the praise of men. I have the condemnation, the accusations, and the slander, and the misunderstandings of men. I'm having to walk this out alone. You cannot carry a cross with somebody else. When God calls you to carry your cross, you will carry it alone, and He will remove any and all people that can help you from out of your life. And this is where you're tested. 
Are you willing to go through the humiliation of your cross? Are you willing to endure the cross for the shame set before you? This is the question that God is asking of Michael Criswell in this moment. I mean, this is very scary for me to think how much pain and how much weight and how much suffering is on this cross, as you'll hear in this recording, to know how easily it might have been for me to just cave in. I can avoid, I, I was only able to do this by the grace of Jesus Christ because the pressures inside and the pressures outside were immense. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And by faith, I overcame myself, my internal pressures, my internal desires, and my internal self-life. And by that same faith, I overcame the external pressures, either from demonic spirits putting flaming fiery arrows in my mind or from the, honestly, well-meaning and loving people and friends and family around me who were convinced what I was doing was insane and I was going to be hurting myself for no reason and my innocent children for no reason. God knew better. And Michael Criswell was holding on to his faith to trust that God had something for me. Brothers and sisters, I tell you the truth. I don't see how God could have ever blessed me the way he has in this ministry and trusted me with the anointing that he's given me in this ministry. I don't say that this anointing comes from me. I'm not boasting in me. My boast is in the Lord. I don't have anything I didn't receive from him. But whoever has been given a trust must prove faithful. These are the words of Paul written by the Holy Spirit. And so you must prove faithful. And so God was testing me. What is Michael's price? If if Satan was there saying everyone has a price, he knows he couldn't buy me with money. Money means nothing to me. But my children were the most valuable thing I had. So here I am giving up the most valuable, not one child, not two children, not three children, not four children, five children. The loss of one child is great enough. This was essentially like the loss of five children. Horrible pain. And again, I was like created to be a father in this way and loving and affectionate. And I loved my children and they loved me. We had an adorable, a remarkable relationship And it was definitely an inordinate or an excessive affection on my part and pride in being a father. And that's why father had to touch this. My father in heaven had to touch this and say, are you willing to to die to this? Are you willing to prove there's no body or no thing on this earth that's more valuable than my words? I value nothing more than allegiance to me, faith to me, and obedience to my words. And if you want to be my disciple and if you want to be my servant... You must be willing to obey me and put to death anything and everything in your life and in your heart that I tell you to. And here comes that test. Be warned, it's a little ugly, but it doesn't last long. End of commentary. I think this is the saddest moment of what feels like my entire life. I have told the Lord I would never put anybody or anything above Him and I'm having to wait for a call from my children to tell them I can't come get them. Oh, it still kills me. I have promised the Lord I would never put anybody or anything in front of him and I didn't know it would would hurt this much. I'm looking at these pictures of me and my children on my computer and 
I love them so much and I'm gonna have to stick a snake in their hearts. But I know that God will help me. I know. I know that God will help me. I know that God will make this good somehow. And somehow, for seven months, I've been waiting upon the Lord to deliver me. I've been trusting Him. And I know. I know that He's with me. I know. And this is the moment where my faith is being tested beyond what I can imagine. I'm sitting here waiting for a phone call any minute now. I've already told I can't come get them. And I'm just waiting for the kids to call me so I can tell them that I can't come get them. God help me. God help me. God help me. Have mercy. Michael Commentary. So I want to add one really blessed praise to the Lord here. When I go back and listen to these recordings where I hear how much of a struggle I'm having in my faith to trust God and how painful it is to crawl up on these crosses, it is difficult for me. I have the capacity to feel. And I can actually very quickly put myself back in that moment and feel how I felt. And I feel so much compassion for that person. And I feel a fear for him having to go through this. I really am like, wow. You know, I almost want to go, how did you get through this? You know, to this guy that you just heard, which is actually me. (laughs) But... Here's the thing that's so incredible of our God. There is no resurrection life without crucifixion death. And I've made this point throughout multitudes of my recordings because it comes right out of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And I've embraced the hard truth of the gospel that in order to have life, you must lose it. And most people are so afraid of what they just heard, they're afraid of that kind of pain. That's the thing that keeps people from going to that cross is they say, man, I couldn't do this. I I mean, I just love my children too much. I love my job. I love my wife. I love my this. I love my health. I love my where I live. I love my comforts. I love my money. Whatever it is, I am not willing to lose this. And so most people end up having to walk away sad rather than to crawl up on their cross sad. You see, I'm sad. But this is only going to last for a very short period of time. I want you to hear and think about this in your heart. How sad would I be today if I was not willing to be sad right there in that moment, that night, on December 19th of 2013? What kind of sadness might I be carrying around today in my heart, knowing I missed God's best? I recently received a recording from a person in another country. And I hadn't heard from this person in a while. Actually, I had gotten an email from them. And my recording to that person back, God gave me a word for them. And it was regarding the rich young ruler that 
they are going to end up walking away from Jesus sad, and they actually keep walking away from their cross sad. And this just came out of me by the Holy Spirit that God looks at you and sees you're going to walk away from this cross. You're going to walk away sad because God has so much more for you, but you keep holding on. You're afraid to surrender. And so you have to keep walking away sad. And this person was quite amazed and said, Michael, this is the exact thing that's happening to me is that I am sad. I am walking away from Jesus Christ sad because I'm unwilling to go the next step. And so I want you to think with me for a moment, what would it be like for me seven years later? This was in 2013. We're in 2020. What would it be like for me in 2020 if I was unwilling to take up all these crosses? If I was unwilling to embrace full, absolute, total surrender, the abandonment of my will for God's because, oh, it didn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to anybody around me. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. Um, What if I would have said, I just can't do it. My brothers and sisters, I tell you the truth, right out of God's word, I'd be no different than the rich young ruler. His was, he wasn't willing to give up the money. Other people, it's their material possessions. Other people, it's their social friendships. Other people, it's their church institution, this building they go to and all of its programs and all that. Other people, it is certain habits, sinful habits. Other people, it's money. It's their comforts, uh, whatever. They're not willing to give these things up. And so they have to walk away sad. And to inebriate that sadness, they have to find another church, another message, another minister who will tell them about a different Jesus and a different cross. The cross that doesn't bring death. The cross that doesn't require a full surrender and a full sacrifice and losing your life to find it. And so you find some false teaching that will inebriate you to help limit that sadness. Or perhaps you pick up another sin or you pick up another habit or you pick up some other worldly desire or something else that will help distract you away. But deep inside your heart, there's a sadness because you didn't give it all up for Jesus. This is what happens. This is the prescription that Jesus labels upon you not Michael Criswell, whenever we uh, deny the cross rather than to deny ourself, you're going to walk away sad. Many people listening to these recordings have walked away from sacrifices that God asked them to make, and they're sad. And so they almost have to live the Christian life vicariously through these recordings or through uh, YouTube videos or what have you, because they themselves are sad. They're not experiencing it, so they're having to try to live this vicariously through somebody who is. I'm not looking down on those people. I could have been one. I could have been one. I could have walked away from this cross. And I think about how sad I would be today in my heart if I had been given a picture of what could have been in my ministry, how many tens of thousands of lives God wanted to encourage and strengthen and touch and teach through the brokenness that he allowed me to go through, the life, resurrection life he wanted to bring to other people, first to me and then to other people, through my crucifixion, through my taking up the cross and participating in the death of Jesus Christ. I think of how sad I would be. I think of how sad many people will be who will refuse to embrace the temporary suffering. I've often said, you're either going to suffer now a little while, or you're going to suffer later forever. 
You cannot be put to shame and you will not lose if you're willing to suffer willingly, consciously, intentionally by the taking up of your cross, denying yourself, losing your life to find it for Jesus Christ. You will never be put to shame. And listen, here's the final point that I want to make to the praise of our glorious God who calls you to carry the cross unto death that you might follow the spirit unto life. That I now have life and I I look with compassion on this man who's crying, but I don't know how to do that anymore. I don't know how to cry for the loss of my things or my life anymore because God has removed them from the center of my heart, even my wife. Many of you know what happened with my wife. And God had all kinds of reasons and things that he was going to teach me and discipline me through these sufferings. But I got to that point where you hold everything loosely. So whether God gives children or takes children, blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether God gives a wife or takes a wife, blessed be the name of the Lord. Whether God gives a tiny house or takes a tiny house. And by the way, you know, you've probably heard me say it before. God gave me the tiny house and then I had to give it away. I had to put it up on the chopping block. God asked me to sell it for a time and uh, to see if I was willing to do it. And I was, and I almost sold it. And then God put an end to this whole thing and, and gave it back to me. So God got me to this place through lots of time of taking anything valuable that I already had in my life or even things that would be seen as valuable, good gifts of his that he gave me since to put them on the altar and to leave them there. And if God ever takes them away from me, it doesn't have the same effect. It doesn't have that same pain. If God took my wife and child and all that, it would not have, there will be no more, you know, terrible lamenting like this that you hear where there's this tremendous loss. What you hear there is a person still has a lot of self left. And he's having to die. He's having to put that self to death. That man is so dead that I can now lose these other things because I'm holding them loosely. I hold everything loosely knowing they belong to my father and the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So this is really a praise to God that you can get to a place once you go through these initial pains where you don't have the pain, you don't walk away sad years later for the lack of sacrifice. And in fact, you experience the joy of, of, of possessing nothing. As A.W. Tozer says, the blessedness of possessing nothing. See, I now possess nothing. Those were my children, my children, my children. And so if my children are taken away, it hurts my heart and my feelings and myself. Now that a man has died to that, except uh, alone to God alone, I'm, I'm, I'm alive. These things don't have that kind of power over me anymore. To the praise of God, there's no greater life than to live a life detached. It is a beautiful, beautiful life when you can enjoy the things God puts in your life for as long as he puts them in your life and you can remain detached. And if God wants to take them away, you let him take them away and it doesn't kill you in the process because you're already dead. That is a very rich blessing of the deeper spiritual Christian life. Thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ. End of commentary. It's five days before Christmas. December 20th, 2013, 3.38. And I'm just doing a quick catch up on what's going on with the kids in my faith. And last night was uh, really rough. Oh my goodness. I just laid on the floor and cried. Cried. Cried some more. I had a few moments of just anguish. And um, I put in a call to 
last night to have her have the the kids call me and turns out they were at their Christmas program at school so she sent me an email last night saying she would have them call me this evening so I'm sure by now she's probably told them that they're not going to come and I hope she didn't tell them until afterwards the thought of you know my kids having to tell their kids their friends at school is just devastating so what, what I'm fighting at now is all day today I've just been in the zone I worked believe it or not on of all things I created a video today basically the 20 rules of faith and it's all these basically um, sarcastic rules of faith you know don't ever trust in God if he asks you to do something that will hurt other people's feelings. You know, don't ever trust in God if he asks you to leave behind or abandon family members. And then it's this whole clip of every time there's a rule, there's a, a clip from one of the Bible scenes of somebody actually doing the exact opposite of what the rule <clears throat> says. And then it ends with, don't believe everything you've seen. That's all just from the old school. God doesn't do that stuff anymore. And it rolls into a clip of Faith Like Potatoes, Angus. And then I say, well, don't believe everything you see in movies. Because that kind of stuff doesn't happen to regular people. And then it rolls into a clip of my story. The goal is, is to cut out all the excuses. And really, I'm just, I'm feeling that. Because even though I'm feeling so sorry and so, so sad for my children and for me... I still have this overwhelming peace that God is going to take care of this somehow. I don't know how he's going to do it. I woke up the last two mornings at 5.11. I mean, what are the chances of that? Blessed are those who persevere, for you have heard of Job's perseverance and what the Lord finally brought about, for the Lord is full of mercy and compassion. So then I saw 5.15 this morning. You know, if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know we ask of him. Saw multiple 1101s and 1122s in very highly, quote, coincidental ways. God telling me, keep the faith. This is a new element of faith. This is different than the divorce. In the divorce, I had faith that God would take care of the problem that was before me. And that he would defend me ultimately in the court and prevent me from being hurt. It was a very specific way whereas right now all he's telling me is have faith he's not telling me have faith in him providing a last minute opportunity for me to go be with the children or he's not telling me you know it's faith that he's gonna bring finances and fix the whole general situation that I'm in it, he's he's not making making that clear to me at all it's just have faith I'll deliver you keep trusting. So the one thing I know from experience is that from the time God tells me he's going to deliver me and the time he does is usually a long time. In particular, the divorce thing, you know, we're talking 18 months to two years between the time he said, I'll deliver you and the time that he actually did. In between then is called being in the faith gym. So now I'm I've been doing really, really well. Uh, my parents had turned up the heat on me the last two weeks, and it's just been really hard. And them saying I'm mentally ill because of my optimism and, you know, this faith thing and sitting around just waiting for a miracle. So I've, I've taken it on the 
chin from them, but God graced me to stand up underneath of it and to be okay with being made fun of and, and actually even just remember that I'm blessed when I'm persecuted and people falsely say all kinds of evil against me and insult me. And then the children thing has happened where I really felt, I honestly don't know, I, I, I assumed that God was going to come through with a last minute thing and I was going to be able to go get my children. So I had expectations that that was going to happen. And so since that has not happened, I'm, I'm taking it hard. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty down and, and, uh, and yet, um, you know, you can't expect me to be all cheery. I mean, it would be ridiculous for me to think I could be cheery, but I still do have faith. I'm not letting go of my faith in God. I still believe that God is going to turn this around somehow, that he, I, I believe based upon the principles I see in scripture and stories I've heard that, you know, God would not intentionally be doing harm to me. He's intentionally building my faith. I don't think he's intentionally hurting the children. Um, my prayer is that they're going to learn some valuable lessons from this as well. I mean, there may be some time between now and then that they're convinced that maybe daddy is, you know, got something wrong with them because mom's been telling them that the whole time and they have them full time to beat into their brain, you know, everything they want to believe about me. And now here it is. I have evidence. They could just say, look at your dad. He can't even come get you. What kind of a father do you think that is really what kind of a god do you think would tell your father not to come get you or to not work a job it says right in the bible if you don't work you don't eat i mean i can hear all that stuff probably going on i mean it has been for a while so i don't know why it really wouldn't now but that's where i have to trust you know that god will vindicate me i mean as i look at how these people in the bible had to live and that is not just for the Bible times. That's for anybody that still wants to believe God in faith or gets called. And I see how they were ridiculed and, I mean, poor little Mary. Oh my goodness, how often we forget about what she had to go through. She had to carry the Savior of the, the world and had to do so with scorn and, and humility and being shunned and nobody believing her. And she carried the most valuable thing of anything that anybody's ever had to carry for God. Nobody's carried anything that valuable. And so I still believe, even though I'm even though I don't feel good, I'm not excited and jumping around and woohoo and all that. I feel tired. I'm emotionally drained from two days of this and but um, overall I still trust God. I just want to make one other recording about faith while I'm thinking about it. I realize again how unbelievably difficult faith is. It is excruciatingly difficult. And I think I just had a moment where I was just like, wow, Michael, how in the world did you get to this place where you trust God like this. I mean, just for a moment, I don't know if it was just like an out of spirit experience or what. It was just weird, like getting a chance to look at myself, realizing that I'm believing God on the same level that the patriarchs of the faith have and the, the people, the stories of the Bible. Like literally believing God for miracles, you know, that I could go in a courtroom and go up against two attorneys and a paralegal all by myself, trusting that God would defend me and deliver me and 
he pulls off this unbelievable miracle and then ends up pulling out miraculously all this bad stuff that they had put in. The court paperwork ends it in a miraculous way on the 777th day with the story being told on page 777 in my Bible, which I found out about after the fact, after the Lord tells me to go look at page 777 after he delivered me. And I now think to myself, you always have that part of you called the sin nature that can doubt God. I, I, I don't think that part of me has ever gone away. Even after all I've seen, there is still, if we were only spirit, then there would be no hope for Satan whatsoever. And that he would have no ability to get one up over on us because it would just be literal pure communication between us and God. But then there's this filter, this outer shell, a bag called the flesh, the sin nature, and the soul which still has its will and its unbelief. And it is um, in conflict with the nature of God and wars against. And so it's still always there. I find it after all that I've seen and done, I still have the capacity every once in a while to to doubt and to believe, oh, this is just all a farce, this is just a coincidence. I feel like no matter what you see, even if you saw a dead person rise in front of you, or if you saw a miracle like what I saw every single week, you still would always have that capacity to say, ah, it's just a coincidence. I mean, that's just coincidence. So the fact that that part of me is still there really just makes me all the more amazed that I'm able to believe God and trust God like I have, where for seven plus months now, or however long it's been, eight months, I haven't done really any work, and I've totally been living in faith, and that has put me in a situation where it looks like I made a huge mistake. It looks like I, um, I have played a fool, been played the fool, and it really looks like I'm in trouble. Like, I haven't been able to pay my child support in seven months, and that puts me in legal trouble. So now I'm not only in trouble from my enemy who hates me, I'm in trouble legally if I don't get something taken care of here. And how is it that I've been able to have this unbelievable peace throughout all this time? I mean, sure, there's been moments of, like, last night, just total anguish over, oh my gosh, not the kids, Lord. But there's still just this level of peace that keeps moving me forward that says everything's going to be okay, just keep going. And to me, that is just so mysterious and so profound. I mean, I think to myself, how do you go from being a place where you read the Bible and you say, wow, those are really nice stories and neat people, great characters and great character arc. But how do you go from that to actually having a place in your life where you could actually be in the pages because you're living at the same level of faith and experiencing the same kind of encounters that these, quote, great giants of the faith are. Which there and again, that is a misnomer, in my opinion. These were not people of giant, great, unbelievable faith. Nobody can ever accuse me of being a great, huge man of faith without being wrong. All I've ever had is a mustard seed. And I've brought it to the Father, and He puts His grace on it. The Lord Jesus Christ adds His grace, and then, then it becomes a strong faith. So I can't even take credit for my own faith, but I, I am nevertheless, I am astonished when I think about how have I gotten to a place where I used to believe the Bible with stories, and it's nice, and I focus primarily on my character, or rather on my, my external behavior, behavior, you know, modification. And now... 
I barely tie a shoe without asking the Father what He wants me to do. I literally feel myself so 100% dependent upon the Father for everything. And it's so mysterious. It's so bizarre. I look at guys that are in my Bible study or people that I meet with and I think, man, the way I live compared to the way they live is so completely different. It's like it's, we're not even from the same world anymore. It's so hard to relate to people now for me that are living still based on self-sufficiency and if it's to be, it's up to me. The world system, whereas now I've placed myself in total dependence for my finances, for the fruit in the ministry, for the love of my life, for the care of my children, for the presence of my children, you know, for my finances, all of that. I live 100% dependent upon the Father. And it is just so fascinating to me. I just can't begin to stop thinking about how this happened. And again, when I look at people that are getting started, I feel overwhelmed for them. I, th I said to the Father the other day, I said, Lord, how in the world could I ever teach anybody to trust you like this? And I said, Lord, who really even does? How many people out of millions actually trust the Lord this much to where they're willing to put it all on the line and be a complete fool? Not that I'm better than anybody. I'm, I'm certainly better off as I contend, but it's a sad thing that why is there not more people that live this life such that I'm the freak, that I'm the alien, I'm a fool. It's very lonely walking in deep faith with God. But it's incredibly rewarding. I never, ever would want to have it any other way. I don't know how I got here, barely. I know bits and pieces, but it's still all a great mystery. And it is the greatest adventure I've ever been on in my life. And I will continue to just trust the Father. I'll continue to just trust Him and trust Him and trust Him until I run out of me. There's none of me left until I'm until he tells me different. I have no choice but to trust. And I can't wait to see where I end up as a result of the Father helping me to trust him for the impossible. It's uh, 621, December 20th, 2013. I, I just got off the phone of, I think, the second most difficult phone call I've ever, or talk I've ever had to have with my children. I think the, the most difficult one was when I had to sit them down and explain to them that I was, there's no I think, and it was the most difficult. Oh, I had to explain to them that mommy and daddy were getting divorced and that daddy was leaving like the next day. Oh, God, this just breaks my heart even thinking about how, what that day was like. Oh, and um, I just now got off the phone with my kids to tell them that I couldn't come get them for Christmas. And uh, it was it was tough, but God carried me through and carried them through. And I found out that I played them my voicemail, which I'm okay with, last night. And Tyler said everybody cried except for Ashley. And he said he didn't cry either. And um, I had a conversation with him and could tell that he's stuffing his feelings. He really, really misses his daddy. And he just, his way of dealing with it is just to stuff it and not show any emotion, so I've tried to encourage him that it's okay to express your feelings and it's okay to even tell the father that you're frustrated and upset. And uh, I got an opportunity to really teach all the children tonight and just try to assure them now it's up to God to prove that I'm in the right because as of right now, you got 
you know, even my own parents and his mom and parents telling them that I'm an idiot, that I'm a fool. My parents are not telling them that, but they're telling me that they think I'm just delusional. And, you know, I'm, I'm proclaiming faith in God to my children. I'm proclaiming, I'm telling them you can trust God and that even when he says no, he's got something better. And when God takes away something good from us, he's got something he'd like to replace it. And that even when things don't go our way, or even if God doesn't replace, that we still can trust him, that he's trustworthy, that God is in control of all of our circumstances, that even if the devil gets to take shots at us, it is all allowed by God. And Nathan told me that he cried today at school, which, oh man, that breaks my heart thinking about that. And this has just been tough, but thank God kids live so in the moment. They can go from, you know, being sad about that to then being happy about, um, you know, the movie that they saw or whatever. But I'm sure I've got some more crying ahead of me too. It's so hard as I've had to tell them that Daddy trusts God and that I look like a fool to everybody and nobody believes that God is even with Daddy. And while I was on the phone with one of the kids, I walked in the house. I had been on the phone for 30 minutes. I walked in here to get my coat, and I looked at the clock. I only came in to just grab my jacket off of the countertop because I was cold, and I looked at the clock, and it was um, 5.11. I had just recorded earlier that I woke up yesterday morning at 5.11. I woke up this morning at 5.11, and now on the phone with my children, I see 5.11. We consider blessed those who have persevered, for you have heard of Job's perseverance and what the Lord finally brought about. It's the only thing I can stand on as God continues to show me these numbers and continues to tell me to keep the faith. He continues to encourage me. I have nothing else, nothing to, to think that in any way God is going to do anything for me. I have no light whatsoever beyond the step that I take right now. I'm totally in the dark. God just, he doesn't tell me anything about what's happening, you know, next. He doesn't tell me what I'm even waiting for in promise. It's just, he's saying, just keep trusting me. And even while I'm on the phone with the kids, my mom comes out and says, we can still go get them. We can still go get them. And I said, no, mom, I can't. And she says this intentionally while I'm on the phone with them. And then she comes back out a second time and says, well, tell the kids we'll take a picture of their Christmas gifts to send to them. Like she's trying to stick a dagger in me as if I'm not hurting already enough having to, you know, do this. It didn't get to me then, but just... And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. This looks absolutely delusional. To trust God at this level must be you're either right on or you are a complete nutbag. And God has just a track record. I told the kids, I said, your father, even though it doesn't look like it, even though I don't have anything, I still trust God. And I kept reminding the kids of Abraham and what he must have felt like when he had to send off Ishmael in front of everybody. What did they think of him? And then what did he feel like the three-day journey to take Isaac up to the bottom of that mountain and leave the servants behind and climb up the mountain to build an altar that you're going to, and have your kid help you build an altar you're going to kill him on? Missing a Christmas with my kids is not remotely in the same 
category. It's just the same kind of thing. I just literally had to pick up a dagger to drive into my kid's heart. And now I'm just praying and believing. I told the kids I prayed with, I only got to talk with four of them. I didn't get a chance to talk to Ashley. Their, their battery went dead. But I got a chance to pray with um, the three big kids on the phone. They prayed with Daddy. I asked them to pray. And um, they got an opportunity for uh, for me to pray. And, and we all just trust God. We were. We're believing, and I love it that Nathan just kept saying, he he would just bring up in the conversation, he says, Daddy, if God turns it around, if Daddy, if God turns it around, we can go get that movie. If God turns it around, you know, maybe we can play with that thing, you know, whatever. He just kept saying, he said it three times, Daddy, if God turns it around. I don't even know if I can cry anymore. I cried so much last night. So, now is when I find out what my faith is all about. I have given God everything I have. I've let go of everything and even now my own children. And I still trust Him. I still trust Him. I'm willing to be one of those fools that we see in the Bible. I'm willing to be one of those people that are jeered at and mocked at. And you fool, why'd you bring us out here? Where's your God now? Or your God has abandoned you. All those jeering and mockery and foolish comments that are made. I'm willing to be one of those because I love my father so much. I told him last night, I just, even after I was so upset, I just kept telling him, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus, and I feel like, and this is what I'm going to hold on to right now. I feel like when I was on my prayer today, I stood there in that cul-de-sac looking up into a cloudy sky as if I could see through the clouds into the heavens and see my daddy looking down upon me. And I just said, God, I know, I know you must have something awesome on the other side of this. I don't feel like I deserve anything awesome but I just know that God must have something awesome on the other side of this. When he told me he would deliver me in court, he had something awesome on the other side of that promise. When he told me he was going to deliver me financially that week, he had something awesome on the other side of that promise. And I got a Toyota Prius delivered to my house for free on a trailer that said 555. And with my children, for God to have me put a, a dagger in their heart... Like what I've had to do tonight, I just know that my God must have something awesome on the other side of this. I don't know what it is. I don't know when I'll see it, but I'm holding on to my faith in God and I'm trusting him. I have no money. I have no hope in circumstances. I have bills that are out the wazoo. I have seven months worth of child support I have to pay. I'm facing having my driver's license revoked, even if it's even if I get it renewed because it's currently expired. I owe $400 to a phone bill that I haven't had for months. 
I have nothing, no hope in circumstances, and yet I'm still pouring out the teachings of Jesus Christ videos. I'm still doing what he's asking me to do. I'm still putting one foot in front of the other. I'm not getting paid for anything. I continue to pour my heart into people and serve when they call or they email. I try to help people. I've been helping Chris out, meeting with him every day, and he's, I've greatly enjoyed that friendship. Michael Commentary, 1 Peter 4.19 so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. End of commentary. But I'm doing all of these things with no reason to think my situation will ever turn around except my God. And I'm going to stand on it right now. This is it. I've just done the hardest part that I was so afraid of. And that was having to tell my children that I cannot see them this Christmas. And so now I'm going to wait and trust God. I'm going to ask God for a miracle. I have asked him for a miracle. And I'm going to sit around and trust and ask that he will bless me with a miracle. And watch what my God can do. And even if he doesn't do it, I know he's still good. And he's got something else behind it. I believe that. Even after what I just did, I still am filled with a peace that is unexplainable that says trust in God. I woke up yesterday morning at 5.55. I saw 10.11 on the clock this morning. I saw 8.48 tonight. Tonight when we were at the church service um, at church I wanted to show a picture of my kids to a guy that was sitting next to me and I clicked on my phone and it was 511 and so I um, had a wonderful conversation with the kids tonight and I'm begging them to trust God with me and I'm, I'm very tired right now but we're we're all believing and praying and waiting for God to bring a miracle and I'm just really hopeful that God is getting ready to bring me into a new season. Michael Commentary. I just said the words, I'm hoping and praying that God will bring a new season. What I can tell you now, looking back on this moment, while I was desiring for a new season in my circumstances, God is desiring a new season in my heart. God is working for character development. God is working in Michael Criswell and in you if you're allowing him to, to get to a place where you can still have hope, you can still have joy apart from that circumstance being adjusted to your comfort level in your life, for that relationship being reconciled, for those finances to return, for that career to get back on track, for that whatever it is that we want so hopeful for. It doesn't mean that God may not have something for us in there. But clearly, I can tell you, seven years later, God was never going to answer the prayer for me to be back with my children ever again. I would never see my children again after this moment. Seven years later, those four children, the youngest, I still haven't seen them. The circumstances that I wanted so desperately to change were never going to change. What was going to change was the season in my heart. I was no longer going to have this winter in my heart, the sense of hopelessness and the sense that winter in my heart becoming summer was dependent upon my circumstances changing. God was going to show me that summer can happen in my heart even in wintertime circumstances. 
God was going to begin to work more and more testing, more and more long-suffering, more and more patience into my life and heart. Brothers and sisters, when I look at my life today and I realize how much more character development I need, when I realize how far I am away from being my, like my Lord, when I, God has given me more and more light to see how worthless I am, how much of a worm I am, how corrupt I am, how much of an atheist I am, how much unbelief I have in me. See, the more light you have, the more light you'll see on your dirt, the more of your darkness that you will see. It's been proven throughout Christian history. I'm experiencing it. I'm able to see now my filth, my failures, my shortcomings, my nothingness before God better so far than I ever have. And I'm also able to see all of the character development that I needed and all of the character development that I still need because this is the only life that I get a chance. What would be better for me as a patron of eternity and the glory of God's presence? What would be better for me as somebody who is to inherit eternal life and supreme happiness called being blessed for me to have all of my seasons just exactly as I want down here and all of my circumstances reconciled to what my definition of comfort is or for God to be able to change me such that I do have heaven on earth in my heart that I am growing more and more free blessedness of possessing nothing the need to not have all of my circumstances and relationships and comforts to be exactly as I want which prepares me better for heaven that God makes all my comforts and dreams and desires and goals come true here, or that God will continually work the very suffering that he worked into the life of Christ into me and into the life of the apostles and into the life of the greatest Christians that have ever lived, such that I can begin to stand on faith alone, grace alone, the principles of God alone, by the Spirit of God alone. And I can begin to rise above. See, the greater Christian... And the richer Christian is not the man who has the most or uh, has the best circumstances. It is the one who, who needs the least and who can live in the most difficult of circumstances. That is truly the greater Christian, the stronger Christian, the one that can live down here realizing that, you know, earth has nothing for me. My hope is in heaven. And see, I have such strong desires in me to have circumstances be better. And so here I am hoping, hoping, hoping and not realizing how much incredible work God is going to do deep in my heart to get me to hold my hands open loosely to things. Michael, I have a better blessing for you. I've often said the greater blessing than God giving you $100 million, which you now have to fret over, manage, figure out where to put, constantly worry about who's going to take it from you. The greater blessing is for God to give you the satisfaction of what $100 million would bring you temporarily permanently in your heart without having to have all the management of those funds and the difficulty dealing with mammon. It's the same thing. The greater blessing down here is for God to be able to give you the satisfaction and the fulfillment in your heart in place of the things that you think you need in order to have that fulfillment or satisfaction. Because no matter what he gives you in this life, God holds himself back based on laws he's put in the universe that will prevent that thing from ever staying as fulfilling and satisfying and nice and glorious and, and smelling as good to you as it does temporarily. No matter what God gives you, no matter what he blesses, it's always going to be temporary. Doesn't the Bible say that we fix our eyes on that which is unseen because that which we see is temporary, but that which is invisible is eternal. So no matter what God does, 
that man that you're desiring, that woman you're desiring, that money, that health, that cure. If, for example, you're, you're suffering for cancer. Even when God, if, he, if he's pleased to change your circumstances in cancer, you're still on your way to death. So the real blessing is being able to lose the things in this life. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if he gains multitudes of wives, multitudes of pleasures, multitudes of children, multitudes of relationships, multitudes of money? What does it profit a man if he gains all these things and loses his soul? It doesn't profit him anything because whatever you grab in this life is temporary. And so I'm able to look back Although I would have very much desired for God to give me my children at the time, I love much more and feel more blessed. I'm not even able to articulate this as well and as brilliant as God operates in this. But I'm able to see what a greater blessing it is that I now possess the ability to be fulfilled and satisfied in the sovereign, divine choice and will of God in my life, whether it brings the circumstance I'm looking for or not. I think of Philippians 4.11, where Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I remember Charles Stanley one time asking, how did Paul learn the secret of contentment? Through lots and lots of discontentment. Then think of what Paul taught us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what you hear me expressing, is this contentment. That's what I'm talking about. The godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That constant satisfaction of, oh God, not my will be done, but yours. Brothers and sisters, this is the far greater blessed life. We all think that God's blessing is to fix that circumstance. No, I tell you the truth. The more blessed of those who've ever called themselves by the name of Jesus Christ are those who've had everything taken from them. They've had no good circumstances. And I do not include myself even near the top of this list. There are many who've lost and suffered far greater, far longer than I have, and that means they are better off than I am. They were able to live more and more separated from this world and all the things therein, and they were able to live and walk in more and more of the blessed presence, peace, and spirit of the Lord God. Their hearts were more prepared for heaven than even mine. That is a Christian who's more blessed than even me. I want to continually be like that. And that is exactly what God is working with me and these recordings that you hear. There is so much character development, so much freedom from this world and self and what I and other humans call the good life that God still wants to work, not just into my reality. Because right now that was my reality in that recording, the loss of all things. No, God wants to work it into my heart, losing everything to find it all. End of commentary. It's 9.12 uh, AM on the 26th of December, the day after Christmas. It's about 20, 28 degrees outside. Beautiful, sunny day. Headed out for my prayer walk. I saw 646 this morning, and before I even saw 646, I'd been up since about 5 o'clock praying and reading the Word, and I had actually 
made the mental note that, man, just a couple of days off a of schedule can can begin to make you weak. Where I had stayed with Larry and Trish and hadn't been on my prayer walks and then all day Christmas yesterday. And so I'm really looking forward to this walk. Um, I'm still clinging to the Father in faith. I feel maybe a little disappointed that I haven't been delivered. I think I had expectations that, you know, something would have happened by now and I could head off down and go get my kids. But I just keep telling the Lord that even now He could deliver me. And this morning I read throughout the Psalms. Been seeing 555 quite a bit. Woke up at 555 the morning I stayed with Larry and Trish. I think the first night, spent the night the next day I woke up. And then yesterday I was working on the kids' video 377 pictures of what they did during the summer to show them tomorrow or the next day and I copied all the files over and it was 555 megabytes then last night my dinger dinged to call the kids at 555 and I saw that and uh, this morning incredibly while I was looking at a particular psalm it talked about the deliverance of the Lord I looked up and it was 555 while I was looking at that psalm and I was really excited about that. But I spent most of my morning reading in the upper psalms, like starting in Psalm 115, read all the way through 119, all the way up into, you know, probably Psalm 130-something, and really took delight in all the cries for deliverance, the promises of deliverance and restoration, the, the psalmist's cries over you know, those that persecute them and those that do evil and and uh, deliver me and show that you are with me for the sake of your name. And so, been doing all that. The tension at the house is subdued somewhat. There's still tension you can cut with a knife most of the time, but it seems that we're able to have some small talk without... Um, everything just falling apart. That's a blessing, but still there's, there's nothing, there's nothing beyond the most superficial conversation there. And there's still tremendous, just discomfort. You can tell, I, I feel like they're probably more discom more uncomfortable now than I am. You know, it's got to be so hard believing what they believe and having evidence to believe and living with me um, and watching this. I had a really good two days with Larry and Trish and we got to address the purple elephant in the room and I told them that, you know, I was a little distant from even them as I've had to walk through this valley and carry this cross and especially because I saw them beginning to have more time spent with my parents and explaining to them that you know, my parents right now are my biggest enemies. Now, they think they are loving me, but spiritually, they are, they are being used to be my biggest enemy. There's, a, there's an ironic, paradoxical type thing. They love you, but they're, they're, you're, you're, they're, they're your enemy in faith. So, we got the chance to have a great conversation with them. I, I did, and... They really just were so thankful to hear, and I just explained them all. I said, look, you've seen the Lord do this before with me. He asks me to do crazy things. He tells me in advance of things that are going to happen. I fully believe I know who my wife, Laura, is going to be. 
God tell me before I went into the courtroom if I'll fire my attorney, he'll deliver me, and he did. He told me before he was, he sent me the automobile that he was going to deliver me financially, and he did. He now tells me before I see it that he will deliver me financially again and protect me, and he will. And I said, you know, the Lord tells me these crazy things in advance. Not crazy, he tells me good things. The crazy thing is he tells me long before it happens, and then it becomes my position to stand in faith and believe for it in spite of all the obstacles that can come and circumstances that can contradict it while I'm waiting. So I explained it all to them and told them, I said, yes, I've asked the Lord. You know, I told them, I said, I've even said, Lord, don't let this be a, a delusion of Satan that's making me hear you wrong so that I'm in trouble. I've asked for tons of confirmation on that and every time the Lord will confirm, keep the faith. Stay faithful. While the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the Israelites Israelites obeyed God. So, so I'm remaining faithful. Oh man, big old broken bottle. Jeez, man, busted beer bottle right here on the sidewalk. People throw it out of the window. It's just they said, look, we really needed to hear this from you. So everything's good with them, and they said that they trust God. And they trust God with me. They know that I know how to hear from the Lord. And they trust that even if even if I miss here, God can correct and help me. And I said, that is exactly the truth. That's what I have always said. Thank you for believing. And I just thank them. They have tons of dysfunction going on in their own families, between their children, uh, their exes, lots. And so we all... We're just really filled with hope and peace and gratitude because of the peace that we had. So we enjoyed those two days together with just lots of cookie candy making and hot cocoa and hot coffee and hot fireplace and reading of the word and good movies. It was just, it was really good. Very much a blessing. On the way back to my parents, Friday night after the church service, or uh, rather Tuesday night on the way to church service and then on the way back, I felt really, really down about going back into my parents' house. I mean, really difficult. It's like, you know, you'd been freed for a little bit, and then you have to go back into prison. It was horrible. I mean, I I had to immediately start praying in the car, and it was really difficult. But God helped me. I went into the house and uh, was able to kind of just, you know, let company kind of come in and take over and take the the heat away, and then found out that, Dave and Stephanie Kern, who I'm actually on my way walking into their neighborhood now, had come by and knocked on the door while I was gone and gave me a big old nice chocolate cake and a game called Jenga for the kids and delivered it. And I just thought, what a blessing. That just gave me a great deal of joy. Then I got to talk with the kids on Christmas Eve. They called. I was very excited about that. And it ended up being a great call with the kids and I got to do some readings with them um, where they were reading their, the Bible and some stuff and I recorded three of the kids reading and it just made me filled with joy. Made me filled with joy. Even Larry Interest said, boy, you needed that. And I said, yes, I did. And so the Lord once again refreshed me to go through this very difficult time. And so now I'm back being content again in my parents' house, although 
this morning I could feel that weight of, man, God, please come through for me, Lord. Please deliver me, Father. I've waited patiently. I've been totally dependent upon you. And, you know, everything I see in the Word, when the Lord delivers me, this is such a wonderful, powerful message right here, is when the Lord delivers me again, it will be such real-world proof in my life and in the lives of my children that God really does desire to do most of the work in our lives and He just expects that our work be to believe and trust Him. Even Jesus said, this is the work of God, to believe the one He sent, Jesus. So here I am, trusting God and doing nothing to help myself, nothing. I was very encouraged to read in um, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, the story of Jacob and how he was this very self-sufficient, make-it-happen, shrewd, manipulative man. And God put him in a situation where he finally had to completely surrender to God and could not do anything until he broke him of his 100% self-sufficient and turned around in a moment after the work was complete, he was now 100% dependent upon God. And I recognize that that's exactly what the Father has been doing with me. And I am so thankful, so thankful for it. So now I just continue to wait patiently for the Lord to deliver me in whatever way that looks like. I do feel, even though it's hard for me to believe, I feel bad about even saying that, but I do feel like the Lord is going to bless me with an abundance. I really feel like uh, the words that I've been reading, even down to the 5.11s and the 10.22s, and then this morning reading in Deuteronomy 6.6 6 about not forgetting where the wealth came from, and Deuteronomy 8.01, chapter 8. I feel like, I feel like the Lord is, is really going to maybe bless me financially. And He's been showing me lots of things in the A.W. Tozer book, and then in Scripture of the need to remain detached from it and to steward it well and never to forget where it comes from. So I feel myself preparing for that. What a wonderful, wonderful thing that would be. Even in the Psalms today, I think it was in Psalm 123 where the psalmist is saying, you know, you are our great hope. You delivered us and brought us back into Zion, and there were, we filled the streets with joy and laughter. And that's the first part, because they had been delivered out of bondage. And then the second part is, the psalmist prays that the restoration will be complete, and that God would return to them the wealth and the things that they had before then. So, I'm really just trusting the Lord, and I'm going to see how it goes. I'm here today to pray, and, and uh, it's not as tough today. And I know that something probably difficult is going to happen if, if it hasn't already happened that God would call me to the mountain to pray today. That usually means He needs to strengthen me and I do feel the need to be strengthened. So words cannot even express how it's going to make me feel when God finally delivers me. After all this time waiting, after all this time hoping, after all this time of just sitting still and reading God's Word and praying and trusting in Him and waiting upon Him and allowing other people to make fun of me and I can't believe how many times my my mom tried to get me to disobey the Lord, constantly, constantly trying to get me to change my decision and putting pressure, even down to, can I beg you and asking, are you sure, over and over every day? And um, nevertheless, I stand. And I just also know that one other point I want to make, 
I can't see any light for me yet. I'm still walking in darkness. But one thing I do see is I see that the very scriptural principles of enemies and persecution that are in play in the Bible are in play in my life right now. And that those who do not know the Lord, and this is a fact, I can know for certain of those who do and those who don't. It doesn't take a rocket scientist level discernment to figure that out. But I can, I can see that those who do not know the Lord and those who have gotten off base are being used to pull at me, to try to get me to not obey the Lord, to get me into fear. And that in and of itself is another major evidence that I am in fact in the sweet spot with the Lord, being tested to see if I will let go. It has been um, very, very sad having to let my kids be without me this Christmas. They've mentioned it a couple of times, but by God's grace, they're doing okay. And I've told them that if we will trust, God will make this good. The only other thing that's happened is my mom has had a conversation with my father, Michael Criswell. I've only talked to my dad maybe, I don't know, it's been forever. I sent him an email. I tried to call him in Thanksgiving. <sighs> sent him a long email a couple weeks before that and got like a one-sentence reply back from him. And uh, I had told him all the things God was doing in my life, but he doesn't, he doesn't get it. He, he never even asks. So it's very difficult to have a relationship. And I've made so much progress and I've changed so much. How could I ever begin to explain to my dad where I'm at? He doesn't ask and he doesn't understand. He doesn't have the spirit of Christ in him. So he's not going to get this stuff. And now I know that my mom and he talked on Christmas Eve. And I'm sure my mom got him all worried. He would have been fine. And now my mom says on the phone, you need to call your dad. Your dad's worried about you. He wants you to call him when you get home. The reason why he's worried is because... My mom has done, gone and done the same thing with him that she has done with everybody. Created all this drama, trying to make it look like Michael is off the deep end. He's mentally wrong. I mean, it's just when the Lord provides, when the Lord delivers me, this will be vindication. But until then, I have no proof that God is with me. I have no proof that I'm not delusional. And how could I blame a non-believer who has no real faith in God from thinking I'm crazy? But now I'm struggling even about having a conversation with my dad. Because what am I going to say to him? Dad, you just got to understand, uh, you know, uh, the Lord is speaking to me. Huh? Well, yeah, and he's telling me not to work. What? He's telling me that he'll provide. Like, like how? Yeah, and, he, and he's letting me be a fool in the eye. Well, I, I can concur with that. I mean, what are you going to say to a person? How are you going to explain it? So I'm like, I think I'm just going to send him an email and say, Merry Christmas, I love you. You know, Hopefully you're, you know, mom well enough to know that no matter what I was doing, she'd be worried about it. And currently right now with me trusting the Lord with everything, it's even crazier. And so you can expect that mom's going to be thinking I got mental illness and all that stuff. Dad, I'm not delusional. I'm trusting God. Stand by. You'll see. Hope everything's well. I mean, what am I going to do? I don't want to have a conversation. How can you have a conversation with somebody that doesn't even believe? How can I have a conversation with somebody that doesn't even believe? So... Now it's time to pray.